You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. taking your seats, I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible there in the pew that's there for you to use. If you don't actually have a Bible at all or have someone in your life who needs a Bible, please take that pew Bible as our gift to you today. If you're using your phone, the instructions are right there up on the screen. You use the YouVersion Bible app, tap a couple of keys, and you'll get right to our scripture this morning. We've introduced you to the season of Advent. Many of you may be familiar with it. Some of it may be new. But how we're going to count down through Advent to Christmas, how we're going to undertake that journey to the birth of Jesus this year is going to be a little different. We're going to do it through the eyes of someone special. We're going to do it through the eyes of Mary, his mother. Uh, it's interesting. I, 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 didn't, I don't normally put it, telegraph it out there, but sometimes I, sh- I share a little bit of what I'm planning to do. And it wasn't, there was not bad reaction, but there were a couple of raised eyebrows when I said, well, we were going to look at Christmas through the eyes of Mary. And just that reaction alone, as subtle as it was, I think speaks to something I want to address as we start this, which is that Mary is a very misunderstood woman among Christians. What do I mean by this? Well, in some corners of the church, namely the Catholic branch, Mary has been exalted to a deified status that borders on idolatry. So much so that you may know many Catholics actually pray directly to her. On the other side of the aisle, which some of us are probably more familiar with, the Protestant side, we tend to ignore Mary at best or to reject her at worst. Often in reaction to the overreach of our Catholic brothers and sisters, those raised in the Protestant or wider non-denominational traditions have been warned against giving Mary too much credit or attention lest we take away from our singular devotion to Christ. And many of you may know this or not know this, but I, I was Catholic until I crossed over to the other side. Um, that, that literally is what it's like. And it's been interesting to me being raised Catholic to notice as a result of what I've just shared that on the Protestant side, I find that most Protestants know far more about what they don't believe about Mary than what the Bible actually teaches about her, which I think is sad. And that was kind of part of my motivation in thinking about praying about how to approach Advent this year. Uh, We're not, of course, Mary is not to be worshipped or prayed to. But at the same time, her presence looms large at the heart of this holiday season, this holy season. She's too important. She's too compelling to be ignored or overlooked. I mean, think about this for a second. How odd would the annual Christmas pageant be, the nativity set displayed in your home, if Mary was absent? Right? There's something about Mary. First service fell like a lead balloon. <laughs> In here, knew that was going to, somebody was going to react. Okay. <laughs> but there is, there is something about Mary, something we can't ignore. And our goal this Advent season is not to worship Mary, but it is to strip away the many layers of theology, piety, even politics that we've buried Mary under in order for us to better appreciate and learn 
from her powerful witness in her devotion to the Lord. And I think if you trust me on this, if you enter into this with me, along the way what you're going to discover is while Mary's role in the gospel is unique, the contours of her journey with Jesus are very much the same as our own. And with that introduction, let's read a story that everybody knows about Mary from the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Hear the word of the Lord. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I said, everyone knows this story about Mary. It's a treasured part of the Christmas story. It's what's known as the Annunciation. That's the formal name for it. Annunciation simply means announcement. It's, this is the announcement of the incarnation by the angel Gabriel to Mary. And this story that we all know right here from the start, this is where we can see, like I said, there's something about Mary. And I'm not just talking about her unique role in the story of our salvation as the mother of Jesus. Right from the get-go, if you stop, if we stop and reflect for a moment, Mary was the first person to say yes to Jesus. Mary was the first person to say yes to Jesus, and therefore Mary was really the first disciple of Christ. Mary's yes is the first word of faith, right? The first word of faith, faith spoken and lived in following and learning from Jesus. It's a necessary, unavoidable step we all take if we too would embrace Christ and grow in our relationship with him. Therefore, today's focus is about faith. Today is about faith. Specifically, today is about how we get to yes with God, like Mary, and where that yes takes us. So today's about faith, how we get to yes with God like Mary and where that yes takes us. And one of the first things we learn from this encounter, this story, the first, one of the first things we learn about faith, about getting to yes with God is this. The Lord initiates. The Lord initiates. It's the Lord who initiates this relationship with Mary, not Mary towards the Lord. God takes the first step by announcing himself to Mary through his word, through his messenger, the angel Gabriel. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Why is Mary called highly favored? Some translations have full of grace. Hail Mary, full of grace. That's where often the Catholic prayer comes from. Why is Mary called highly, highly favored? 
The angel's greeting here doesn't appear to, to offer a commendation to Mary because of her character. She's not highly favored because of her character, and that may, kind of makes sense because the truth is Mary hasn't done anything yet. She's a teenage girl. She's a teenage girl who we learn just got engaged to a man named Joseph. Her whole life is ahead of her. There's no indication that Mary has done anything special to merit this encounter. Now, you might push back and say, well, wait a second. Isn't Mary, aren't Mary and Joseph both descendants of King David? Isn't that why this is happening? Well, sure they are, but one thing you'll notice about their living circumstances is they're not exactly considered the aristocrats of Israel. Mary doesn't even seek out this encounter with the Lord. We're not told anything about Mary's, you know, devotional life. And it's like Mary's been praying, oh, Lord, please show up. Please speak to me. Mary doesn't even seek out this encounter with the Lord. No, God seeks out Mary. God just suddenly appears to her through the angel Gabriel, declaring she is favored, highly favored. Why? Here's the answer. Mary is blessed because the grace of God is at work in her life. God has chosen to come and give a poor teenage girl the opportunity of a lifetime for her to make an eternal mark by the Lord working through her, not on account of anything she's done, but because of his presence, because of his power at work in her life. Now, right here, right here, where we started, this has been so controversial, this has been so hard to believe over the centuries, this idea that some no-name, poor teenage girl could be used by God, could bear the glory of God in her body, has been so hard for some to believe that some actually started to add something to this story. And this something that they added to the story is this idea that Mary must have been without sin. Mary must have been without sin. That's the only way it makes sense. It's the only way it makes sense. Mary must have been without sin. She must have been extraordinary. You know, like Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. <laughs> and therefore, some Christian traditions hold Mary was without sin. She was sinless. Now, the only problem with this tradition is it has absolutely no basis in Scripture. The oldest and most authoritative tradition we have as Christians is the Bible, and the Bible makes no mention or allusion to this idea of Mary being without sin. And if you stop and think about it, if Mary was sinless, then she didn't need to be saved, right? And we'll push it further. If Mary was practically perfect in every way like Mary Poppins, then we didn't need Jesus. We could have just looked at her. The fact that Mary was a sinner just like the rest of us, as hard as that is to believe, is precisely the point. The fact that Mary was a sinner just like the rest of us is precisely the point. The, because the astounding reality of Christmas is that God has come down to dwell with broken people like us. The astounding reality of Christmas is God has come down to dwell with broken people like us, not those already righteous, because none is righteous save God alone, not with those who are perfect, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No, the astounding reality of Christmas is God has come down to dwell with broken people like you and me. Despite how we might reshape it, no matter what we try to make it, without our Heavenly Father's initiative, there would be no Christmas to celebrate. There would be no Christmas to celebrate. And that's important because we get so excited about Christmas, and rightly so, we get so geeked up, amped up. Every year we like seem to take it up a notch. 
But the reality is behind all the festive lights and glittering tinsel, underneath all the gifts we buy and exchange, is the foundation of what this holiday, this holy season is about. The cause of all our merrymaking is that the creator of the universe, who is not himself part of this universe, entered into his creation in the person of his son, into the universe he made, not only to be with us, but to be for us. Christmas is about something God initiated, something God did in history. Christmas is about a relationship God initiates with us. And that's the first thing we learn about faith, about getting to yes with God. It's the Lord initiates. Another way of saying this is long before Mary has faith in God, God has faith in her. I'm repeating a sermon point from just a couple of weeks ago, this idea of long before Mary had faith in God, God had faith in her. And I'm repeating it because it really seemed to strike a chord a couple of weeks ago. I always hope after a sermon to have some conversation about what did you hear, what struck you, what's stirring, God's stirring within you. And this really provoked a lot of conversation of people who found it very provocative, very unsettling, this idea of not talking about our faith in God first, but talking about God's faith in us. And since it seemed to strike such a chord, I wanted to come back to it. And in the different conversations I had, what I came away with, um, what I came away with is this, this, this awareness in listening to people that sometimes it's easier for us to believe in God, to struggle with that, than it is to accept how much the Lord believes in us. You know, I mean, when we're really honest about ourselves, you know what I'm talking about? Really, when we're really honest with ourselves about ourselves, when we truly see all our flaws, our failures, our deficiencies, our sin, right? We can have a hard time believing God would have anything to do with us, let alone use someone like us. And yet, long before Mary believed in God, God believed in Mary. The Lord made the first move. He comes to this ordinary woman, and I mean no offense. There's nothing, there's, there's, there's something about Mary has to do with God. She's an ordinary woman who God offers to work through in her in an extraordinary way. The Lord literally places, do you ever think about this? He literally places faith in her, the person of Christ in her. Not because she was very educated, she was not. Not because she was wealthy, she was not. Not because she was highly, highly qualified, she was a teenager. Not because she earned the right. She was a nobody from a backwater town called Nazareth. The Lord initiates and he has faith in us. You and me. And like I said, that, that idea of we like to focus more on, well, do I have faith in God? This idea of, well, God has faith in you all of a sudden turns it around and it can freak us out. It certainly freaked out Mary. You caught that, right? Right? She's greatly disturbed by God's initiative here, isn't she? <laughs> what kind of greeting is this? I'm sorry, you're talking to me? But the angel Gabriel shares that the Lord initiates with her. The Lord initiates with us. The Lord has faith in us before we have faith in him. And it's not intended to make us afraid. It's intended to encourage us in the relationship he offers us. The first thing we learn about getting to yes with God is the Lord initiates. The first step of faith is taken by God towards us. The next thing we learn about getting to yes with God is the Lord gives us the faith we need. The Lord gives us the faith we need. You, you heard that after the angel kind of calms Mary down and 
encourages her, he then proceeds to share God's plan with her, what exactly God purposes to do in and through Mary. And it kind of goes something like this. The angel Gabriel says, Mary, God has this fantastic plan. He's going to come, he's going to, come to earth so people will know what he's like. He's going to use your body to enter the human family. You're gonna be the mother of the Messiah, the son of God. And you totally get when Mary right after that is understandably both surprised and confused and says, how, how can this be? How can this be? And I think there's a lot behind that simple question for Mary. How can this be? On the one hand, she doesn't ha understand how this is all supposed to work, right? I mean, Mary knew the stories, no doubt she knew the stories of sons like Jacob and Reuben and Benjamin or even Isaac who were conceived by the Lord's promise, but all of those happened in the context of marriage. Mary, in hearing this news, she's going to bear the long-awaited Messiah, the Davidic king of Israel, responds, I'm a virgin? In other words, I'm not married yet? And, and if you caught at the beginning, Mary was betrothed to Joseph. And I need to clarify this a little bit. Unlike our custom today of engagement, a betrothal was a legally binding commitment to marriage that was actually confirmed by an oath. Uh, a betrothed couple was committed to each other as they and their families made the preparations for their marriage. And when I say preparations for their marriage, I'm not talking about the wedding ceremony. I'm talking about making preparations for them to share a life together. That meant building or securing a place to live, demonstrating the ability to sustain a living wage, negotiating a dowry from the family, all of this. And this was so intense, so serious, such a commitment that to break off a betrothal required a certificate of divorce. Therefore, as a betrothed couple, Mary and Joseph were essentially married. They just hadn't had sex yet. That was the part that would come after the wedding ceremony. So you understand when Mary goes, I know I'm betrothed, but how can this be? And you know that then the angel Gabriel explains the birds and the bees, the mechanics of it all. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is what we call the Immaculate Conception. And, you know, most of us when we tell this story, we're like, oh, totally makes sense. Really? <laughs> totally makes sense. And we kind of go, and Mary just jumps right to, okay, yes, I'm in. We jump right to Mary's yes to God at this point. And I think that this is a mistake. I think that this is us being too familiar with this story. I think that as great as this story is, we've sanitized it, we've decorated it for Christmas, and we've made Mary's yes here seem so obvious and logical, like a fairy tale ending. But I'm convinced that in this moment, Mary could, all that Mary could see before her was anything but magical and happily ever after. If you have your Bibles open, it's okay if you don't. What I'm trying to say is there's a long pause between verse 37 and verse 38. There's a long pause between what the angel Gabriel says and Mary saying, yes. You know, for me, while she may have begun to understand the logistics of God's plan for her, you gotta ask yourself, how could Mary fathom or even reconcile what the Lord was asking of her? The gap between those two verses, 37 and 38, is where how can this be, Mary's question, goes beyond simple biology. I mean, think about it. Because I'm telling you, this wasn't just instantaneous. Mary surely did. She thought about it. She was going to conceive miraculously before being married, without knowing her husband. Her may it be to the Lord would have to come before, before her I do to Joseph. And 
And according to the angel Gabriel, you with me here, according to the angel Gabriel, conceiving out of wedlock was part of God's plan. But this wasn't how God's law worked, right? You, you with me right now? You feeling me right now? The law of Moses was clear. Children were to be conceived and born in the context of marriage. Getting pregnant out of wedlock wasn't the cultural norm either. God's call is requiring Mary to be profoundly unconventional, to trust an inner vision that flew in the face of everything her community expected of her. Mary would be perceived as an adulteress, a lawbreaker. And all Mary had going for her, right, was her word. The word of the Lord, which on the face of it contradicted itself. What do you do with that? Well, God told me. No, God didn't tell you that because this is what God's word says. No, God told me. Well, no, God didn't tell you that because this is what God's word says. Push it further. Her betrothed, Joseph, being a faithful observer of, of the Torah, meaning a follower of God's ways, would be legally required to divorce her. She's pregnant before they're married. It's not even an option. He's legally required to divorce her. And go further. Even if Joseph was a decent man, who didn't wish to humiliate Mary, who would not push for the full extent of his rights under the law, by the way, not knowing any of this right now, and the full extent of his rights under the law would be to publicly shame her, to stone her to death. Even if Joseph decided to divorce her quietly, Mary would still be left without a husband, abandoned, stranded, without a man in a man's world. Her son, the would-be Messiah, would be raised without a father. And you already heard this. She's already poor. Mary's already poor. Now she's going to be cut off from her family and her community. And as a result of this, she would be left with nothing. Now, now we enter into this pause. This pause in which we hear Mary's question anew. How can this be? I mean... And I, again, I mean no disrespect to Mary at all. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. <laughs> Mary was not prepared for this. She wasn't ready. Physically, mentally, emotionally, even spiritually for what was going to come next. She was not ready. How could she be? How could anyone be? But then again, and this is back to our second insight. This is why I've taken so long to get here. Faith is not about our being prepared or ready for God. Faith is about God preparing and making us ready for what he purposes to do in and through us. In other words, it's not about our having faith. We get very fixated on that. Do I have faith? Do I have enough faith? Is, do, do I have faith? It's not about our having faith. It's about the Lord giving us the faith we need. And the truth is, if you think about your life, more often than not, Christ comes, Jesus happens in our lives when we least expect, when we're not ready, when we feel the most unprepared, right? Because if we were ready and prepared, then it wouldn't be about God's faith in us, it would be about our faith in ourselves. Yep, I believe I'm ready, I believe I'm prepared. If the Lord only showed up and spoke, called us to things we believed we were ready for, that we had prepared ourselves to do, then it wouldn't be about grace, would it? 
God giving us what we need, preparing us for what comes next, getting ready for what lies ahead. It would be about our wisdom, our strength, our resolve, not his. But the scriptures are clear. Go to Hebrews. Faith is not about what we can see. Faith is about God's assurance in what we cannot see. Mary isn't prepared for this. She isn't ready for what comes next. Contrary to how we often tell it, Mary just doesn't leap headlong into obedience. She can't. She's not ready. She's not prepared on her own. And so God shows up to make her ready. The Lord comes to prepare her for how he purposes to work in and through her. Even before the Spirit comes upon her to make her with child, with Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord fills her, prepares her, and makes her ready with the faith she needs to be the Lord's vessel, God's agent of grace, the mother of the Messiah. Through Gabriel, you hear it, God gives Mary the faith she needs as he shares with Mary how he's already present and working in her life and in her community doing marvelous and miraculous things in the life of her aged cousin, Elizabeth, a woman who was told, a woman who had resigned herself to not being able to conceive children is now in her sixth month. It's not about Mary having faith. It's about God giving Mary the faith she needs. Mary, look at what I'm doing. And added to this, to this practical and living example that God gives Mary, the Lord's messenger Gabriel adds this promise, this guarantee, no Word from God will ever fail. Or as some translations read, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary, I'll give you the faith you need. Beloved, there's a sacred space, sacred space between Mary's calling and her consent. We don't know how long that pause was, but we do know this. It was long enough for Mary to be able to get to yes with God. Confronted by the Lord's initiative, his faith in her, made ready and prepared by the faith God gave to her, Mary's response is, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary lets go of what she knows and takes hold of the God who knows her. Mary releases her plans for the future and embraces the Lord's future plans for the world. In spite of the unknown, the challenges of the journey ahead, even though she cannot see the big picture of her life or the life of her son Jesus, Mary acknowledges whatever God has purposed for her is the best outcome. Mary surrenders the limits of her control and welcomes the limitless possibilities of what the Lord can, of what the Lord will do through her. And so Mary goes from being afraid to being confused and curious to becoming committed, trusting herself, her identity and her destiny to the one who first gave her life and now seeks to bring eternal life to the world through her. And these 10 verses that we know so well, this story that we know so well, they mark more than a moment for Mary, more than nine months. They represent the start of a beautiful relationship between Mary and the Lord, a transformation from a peasant girl to a prophet, from Mary to the mother of God, from denial to discipleship that lasts a lifetime and beyond. Because Mary's yes of bearing God into the world doesn't stop here. 
Her relationship with the Lord, with Jesus, involved ceaseless discovery and ongoing consent, right? Each yes, Mary whispered into the Lord's heart, opened her heart, her mind, her will, her capacity and influence for the kingdom, her authority and power through the Holy Spirit to, be, to go much deeper and wider for the sake of others. Here, Mary is given just enough to get started, but her yes to God was more than enough to change history, to transform the world for the better. What could God do with your yes to him? What could God do with your yes to him? Because Mary's journey of faith is our journey too. Like Mary, God gives us just enough to get started, to get to yes with him. The Lord makes the first move and initiates a relationship with us. We, like Mary, receive this invitation to be filled with the Spirit, to be in relationship with Jesus. Through the incarnation, God coming down to be with us in Christ, we have beheld how much faith the Lord has in us. But like Mary, we're not sure how this can be, right? We're not sure how this can be. We struggle to conceive how Christ can come, how Jesus can dwell, how the abundant life that God seeks to bring into this world can be born in the mess and disarray of our lives, right? We don't understand how Jesus fits, how Christ plans for us. His kingdom can take shape in our lives. We don't perceive we're ready or prepared. I don't know enough. How often have you said that to God? I don't know enough. I don't know enough. I don't have enough. Have you said that to God? I don't have enough. I don't have enough yet. I, I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. How, how can this be? How can you be asking me this? How can you show up with all the stuff I have going on in my life? This commitment, that circumstance. You know what kind of year I've had? Do you know where I've been? You know what? I'll be ready. Maybe I'll be ready tomorrow. Maybe I'll be ready tomorrow. You know, maybe I'll be ready next Christmas. This Christmas is full already. I'm sorry. Maybe I'll be ready next year. This year sucks. Maybe. Maybe once I figure out my life, you know, maybe once I figure out my life, then I can learn to start welcoming what you're doing in my life. Maybe once I finish school, you know, maybe once I rush, the rush at work settles down, it's crazy right now. Maybe once I fix that relationship, that relationship that's just messed up, you know, maybe once I conquer this sin that I'm struggling with, maybe once I find the right job, maybe once I start a family, maybe once I become more spiritual, maybe, 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 maybe. <laughs> the message of Christmas is God doesn't wait until we think we're ready or prepared. Christmas is about God making us ready and prepared to come and behold him. And you know this, even our preparation through the unexpected doesn't stop at Christmas, right? Even though we weren't expecting it, even though we weren't ready for it, the cross and the resurrection, through the cross and the resurrection, God in Christ continues to give us the faith we need to see that nothing is impossible with the Lord. God shows up. God calls us, appoints us, and in that sacred space between his calling and our consent, as with Mary, he gives us the faith we need, speaking to us and showing us how he's working in our lives even now. 
Are you paying attention to how God is moving and working in your life even now? Because God shows up, gives us the faith we need, shows us how he's moving and working in our lives, even now preparing us to be laborers like Mary, to become vessels of grace, of forgiveness, of salvation, of eternal life into the chaos of our families, into the chaos of our communities, into the chaos of our world. What could God do with your yes to him? It's not about our having faith. Christ comes to give us the faith we need. Despite our bumbling or lack of preparation, Jesus comes anyway. Jesus comes even if we don't think we're ready. Jesus comes anyway, even if we think it doesn't make sense, even if we doubt. Jesus comes anyway, even if we can't muster up the courage to believe. Christ is always coming to us to give us the faith we need to reform our lives into the kingdom, his kingdom of eternal truth and love. What could God do with your yes to him? What if? Christmas is all about believing, right? What if? What if we were less concerned about having faith and instead let God give us the faith we need. What if we stopped? What if we stopped fixating on what's possible or not possible for us and started paying more attention to the impossible things the Lord is already doing around us? What could God do with our yes to him? What if we did, what if we just said yes? What if you just said yes? What if you just said, let it be God, instead of why? Not now. Or let me see how that fits into my schedule. What if instead of trying to squeeze little bits of the Lord into our busy lives, when it suits us, when we have time, we let go and we were willing to change our plans altogether so that we would fit into his, his plans for us. What could God do with your yes to him? How would you be changed? How would our lives be changed? How would our relationships be changed? How would our world, our communities be changed? I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. This is the prayer of Advent. It's the prayer of Advent that moves us from expectant waiting to the glorious deliverance of Christmas. Make no mistake, Mary was a disciple before she was a mother. Mary was a disciple before she was a mother, for had she not believed, she would not have conceived. The real miracle of Christmas that begins here with Mary and extends all the way for us to Pentecost is God can and does inhabit broken, flawed, sinful people like you and me. No one is too far away. No one is far, too far removed for God to meet. Like poor, sinful, seemingly not that important, unassuming Mary, God makes us, have you, God makes me, you, temples of his Holy Spirit. Temples of his Holy Spirit. But the Lord doesn't just come down to occupy space with us. Our Heavenly Father gives us his grace, meets us where we are, as we are, because he desires to work 
in and through each one of us. Not just me, not just him, not just her, each and every one of us. In Christ, God takes the first step towards us, showing his faith in us. With Jesus, God puts his faith in us, giving us everything we need to become who were we created to be. All you have to do, all we have to do is say yes. What could God do with your yes to him?